Hello, everyone, and welcome to From the Archives. This podcast goes back to many sermons preached over many years. We thought we'd bring them from the past here into the present so you can enjoy some of the messages that came before. Take a listen to what we have tonight. Okay, tonight we're going to get going. See, we got a brand new slide up there. This is the one I'm going to be using. On top it says apologetics. That comes from apologia. That comes from the word reason. Be able to give the reason for the hope that's within you. Will you guys think about this this week? We talked about it last week. Would you be able right now, if I said, brother, give me the reason for the hope that's within you. Why do you hope in Jesus Christ? Why do you believe in the Bible? Why do you go to Tacoma First Baptist Church? What is the reason behind your faith? What makes you stronger and righter than everybody else that's out there in the religious realm? Well, tonight I want to start down that road. The first thing I have is this. Questions were asked to a thousand young people. I told you about it last week. They said, what is it that you don't understand about the Bible? What is it that you don't get? If you are a teacher in this room, you may have feared this question. After tonight, you will not fear it. Now, I guarantee I am not going to show you or tell you anything you don't already know. Teachers, you already know it. Parents, you already know it, but tonight I'm going to pull it together and I want you to have it so that when someone says this, if God is a good God, and when someone says that, if God's a good God, ask him what good means. If God is a good God, why is there so much death and suffering in the world? Can't God do something about it? That was one of the most frequently asked questions and actually of the kids who left their church homes and never returned to any church, this was one of the questions pointed out in the book where a young lady said, this is the question my teacher could not answer. My pastors would not answer this question. My question is, why can't we answer that question? It's pretty simple, really. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1 tonight. Genesis 1. We're going to be focusing on a few verses, but as always, we will always go to the Word of God first, exclusively, only. It's our only source of truth. I want us to look at it. We're going to begin in Genesis 1 tonight. I am going to start in verse 27, and I'm going to go through verse 31. I want to read it first, and then I want us to break it down and take a look at it. Here's the word of the Lord, Genesis 1, beginning in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. God be praised for his word. We don't have to wonder about the answer to this question. If God's good God, why is there so much death and suffering in the world? Well, let's take a look at this. First, 
So God created man in his own image. The word image means a representative form. It was also used for a statue, a statue which was an exact likeness. Man and woman were made in that garden to represent physically a God who has no body. I don't care what the Mormons say, God is not an ascended man. He doesn't have flesh and blood. He doesn't have toes. And contrary to what some people think about Psalms, God ain't a chicken and he ain't got no feathers either. Okay, that's just how that goes. But man was made in the image of God. Now if God is spirit, no flesh, no blood, no bone, no bald head, then to be in his image means that somehow the creation of man represented at heart everything God was. That is why he made male and female. Represents everything that who, everything who God is. But now let's go on. Let's put this a little here. Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Interesting. A person in this church who shall remain nameless, Love the person to death, great person, little mistaken. Said, Pastor, can I ask you a question? You know what I would say. Ask me a question. He said, Pastor, isn't it true that Adam and Eve never had sex? And I said, squeeze me, what? Well, well, isn't, isn't sex part of sin? I mean, didn't that come after the fall? And I'm like, did you skip through Genesis by any chance? Look at this. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Okay, that's sex. Because otherwise they could not fill the earth and subdue it. A person in this church told me they believed that sex came after the fall and therefore it was sinful. Now, in case anybody here has that same opinion, no, God created men and women, to have sex. So it's a good thing. It's okay. It was happening in the garden before the fall. Can I get an amen? Thank you very much. Okay. Let's just go on with that one. But you see, here's where it begins. Our line of good and evil begins to be slurred by what mom said, or dad said, or some TV pastor said. And it can be just some offhand remark, but if we don't study the Word of God, we're not going to know what's really going on here. So, so far, he's made him in his own image, and it says what? He has blessed them. He has put his approval on them. Now, if man were evil, sinful, decadent, killing, slaughtering, murdering, rampaging, would God have put a blessing on them? No, he wouldn't, in fact. Take a look at this. Genesis 1.29. See, I have given you every herb that yields seed and every tree, and it shall be to you for food. Yes, all you Black Angus fans, don't stone the pastor for the truth. Adam and Eve were meant to be veggies. They were meant to be vegetable-tarians. Sorry to say. If you look, the animals were also limited to eating green herbs. Why is that? Is it really kind and nice to walk up and put a 22 to the head of a cow, drop the trigger, and then turn it into lunch meat? Tasty, yes. Nice, no. God never intended for death to be part of his creation. Not even death that led to dinner. Okay, you get it? Adam and Eve were supposed to eat fruit, Nuts, flakes. That's why many people think 
the Garden of Eden was in California. Because today, that's where all the fruit sets and flakes are, is in California. Anyways, men and animals were meant to live in peace with each other. They were meant to coexist, not be predatory upon each other. Now I know what the, the, the scientists that talk about the pointy teeth and the canines and the ripping and the snarling and all that good stuff, but that's later. That's later. That's post kicked out the garden later, okay? This is how it was meant to be. You see, the whole question, if God is a good God, why is there so much death? What does that question assume? God created the suffering. God created the death. God created wars and rampaging and all the PETA people think God created eating hamburgers, okay? All the people out there doing this stuff, they don't read. They don't go back to the start. In the start, there was never meant to be any violence in God's creation. This is his plan. In fact, look at Genesis 1.31, where we ended up. When God saw everything that he had made, what did he see? He, see all, he sees a man, and he sees a woman, and they are happy. He sees animals, and they are happy. The men are not eating the animals, and the lions are not eating the men. And this is a good thing. Everybody's eating the vegetables and the fruit just the way God planned for it to be. And then he says what? Everything he made, and indeed it was very good. The word means extremely satisfying. We talked about giving God glory, giving him praise, blessing the name of the Lord. Perfect illustration. Barry didn't know I was going to do this, but that's how the Lord leads. Amen. When Adam and Eve were walking according to God's plan, God was blessed because his creation was working the way he designed it to work, the way he meant for it to work. He never meant for all this other stuff to happen. So now what do we have? Wow, look at it. Evolution says what? Over millions of years, the little pond slime that accidentally came together in the primordial soup of nothingness got together, they partied, they formed single cells, they kept going, and they died and gave birth to the next generation. And they died and gave birth to the next generation. Then that thing crawled out the water with half a lung and half a gill, and it was a hermaphrodite because there was only one of them, and a lot of other problems with that issue. But here's the whole thing. They had to get up on the land and eat each other and kill each other and shed blood. And there was cavemen and they were knocking each other in the head. I mean, we've all seen the movies, right? We've seen the cartoons. You know, Fred and Barney hanging out in bedrock, you know, clubbing the dinosaurs over the head, throwing them on the, on, on the grill. Isn't that the way it was back then? Well, if you believe evolution, it's no wonder that kids have to ask, why did God create all this violence? Now that's why I don't understand how pastors can say God used evolution. Because it means that Genesis is a lie. Because this says on the sixth day of creation, God set it all down, he looked at it, and it was extremely satisfying. Now this is the God who says, I do not desire flesh and blood, fatted sacrifice. I desire what? Obedience. God wanted Adam and Eve to obey, not to go around slugging on the dinosaurs and having them for dinner. That's not God's plan. It doesn't make sense to me that, that this could be the very good that God talks about. 
that this could have satisfied God. Because if we read through the entire Old Testament, this never satisfies God. He does not want the blood of sinful men. He wants men to repent and be saved, right? So how can this be true? When those kids in your class ask you, why did God create all this bloodshed? You have to tell them, you got a choice. This is it. You have two ways to look at this thing. One, you can either believe in evolution, which is death upon death upon bloodshed, upon mutilation, upon war, leading to men who are very little removed from these so-called primordial chimpanzee-esque ancestors that we all had back in the day. Or there's creation. Now, if we look at the world, what does it best suggest? Does it best suggest all this evolution stuff? Or is it possible that within this, there's an answer? Let's take a look at some scriptures. Genesis 2.17. We're right back where we were, a few verses down. Genesis 2. I'm going to start halfway through 16. And 17 is already on the board. Let's take a look at this. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Wow. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, or you shall surely die. Now, your kids, if they're really smart, and if their professors and their teachers and even their parents, God help them, have been messing with their children's heads, they're going to say, well, this can't be right. Because it says right here in verse 17 that in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Well, we know Adam dropped dead, you know, hundreds of years later, right? Aha! There's an error in the Bible. No, there's not. Do you know how you know? Look back at verse 31. I'm going to settle a controversy for you right now. You've all heard the old day theory, right? Well, in the Hebrew language, the word day can mean a 24-hour period. It could mean a week. It could mean, hello, it could mean a week. It could mean a month. It could mean a year. It could mean a series of years. It could mean anything. So how do we know what it means? I'll tell you how. Look at verse 31. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. In Hebrew grammar, when you have a time period or a number, it means a 24 stinking hour of time. So definitely verse 31, man and woman popped up in a day. Do you ever wonder how long Adam was hanging out in the garden with no wife, looking at all the animals frolicking, going, I'm so lonely. You know, like I saw one guy said like, how long was Adam in the garden without Eve? Was it like weeks, months, years? I'm like, dude, did you not read Genesis 1? Same day, hello, Adam came into existence. He starts naming the animals. He looks for the Mrs. Him and oops, nobody. So God takes care of it right then, right there, that day. That's how it works. But now if you look over in verse 17, in the day, in this situation, there's no number. There's no fixed time period like morning and evening. In this one, it can mean a period of time. And most of the Jewish scholars, the uh, people that write from that Jewish perspective who study the language, they say this is indicative of a period of time. Uh, not a not set period of time, but a nondescript period of time. So in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. 
We talked about this last week. Did Adam die? Yes. It just took a while for age and disease and time to kill him. He lived long enough to see the beauty of God's plan deteriorate. He lived long enough to see one son kill the other. And that son exiled forever to the furthest reaches of the earth. He lived long enough to see the descendants of that son become the enemies of his, of his family. Adam lived long and a long time. But you know what? Every day he died just a little bit. Every day he knew, I'm not going to live forever. Every day he lived knowing he's going to die. You know, the, the amazing thing to me is I talk to some of our young people in church, and they go, wow, I just turned, you know, 30, and I feel so old. I just want to slap them. I'm like, 30, it started yet. You know, or they say, oh, I just turned 40. How terrible. I'm like, what? 46, going on 47. And trust me, it's not bad till about 48. <laughs> but um, they feel like the years are closing in on them. Then you have the other ones. Hey, I'm still 40. I'm young. Dude, you're halfway to the grave and then some. Get over it. Here's the thing. We need a perspective on life. God gives us life in order that we might serve him. Yes, there is pain. Yes, there is suffering. Yes, there is death. But why is that? Is it because God built it in? Did God want it to happen? Romans 5.12 says this, Through one man's sin entered the world. Through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men. And the rest of that verse says, Because all men sin. Okay. The kid asked the question, if God's a good God, why is there so much death and suffering in the world? Does the kid have the right focus? No. The question is, why is there suffering and death in the world? That's the right question. So if someone says to you, teacher, why did God create so much suffering and death? You say, hold on a second. Where does the Bible lay the responsibility for sin and death? And we go to Romans 5.12. Through one man's sin, Adam, Notice, not Eve. Have you ever noticed that? Adam's sin was greater than Eve's. Eve was deceived. Adam watched to see if she dropped dead. When she didn't, he jumped in with both feet. The sin of Adam was greater than the sin of Eve, but they both got punished for it. Interesting, through one man's sin, through one man, and sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all men sinned. But now look at Romans 8. Verse 20 goes, Cre Creation was subjected to futility. Then 22 says, The whole of creation groans and labors with birth pains. If you want to explain earthquakes, disease, famine, plague, all the other things that happen on the earth, you have to start with Romans 8, 22. The whole of creation groans and labors with birth pains. Why? Because creation was subjected to futility. Now notice those words. Creation was subjected. The word subjected means to have an external judgment laid upon from an external source. Did our world bring judgment on itself? No. Did our world do anything to bring about earthquakes, floods, fires? No. Is there a mother nature? Oh, heck no. 
No such animal. It's not there. Why are there floods, typhoons, earthquakes, killer monsoons, diseases, everything else? Because man forced futility on the earth through his sin. Teachers, you want to answer that kid's question? Here you go. You have to bring it back to men. Now notice the second part of the question that the kid asked earlier. He said this, can't God do something about it? How do we answer that, church? You know this already. If death entered the world through one man, what did God do? He brought salvation by the second Adam. In Jesus Christ, the plague, the death of Adam was undone. Now, the kids ought to know this, but sometimes kids can't connect A and C because they don't see B. Kids see death, suffering, disease, parents, brothers, sisters killed in war. They see all types of things going wrong in the world and the families and the schools around them. They see A. Now they see C. There is a God who is sovereign, who is in control, who is supposed to be good, but what's the B? The B is man sinned and screwed up God's plan. That's how we have to deal with kids when we talk to them. We have to help them connect A and C. So your job as a parent, your job as a grandparent, your job as a teacher or a leader is that you need to know these scriptures. You need to expect this question. Because when you expect this question, you're prepared to answer it. Oh, there we go. So now, what do we know? First, death is a result of man's actions, not God's original plan. How do we know that? Genesis 1, 27 through 31. Ending in verse 31. Because we point out to the kids, you know what? When God finished on day 6, everything was just perfect. Men were not eating animals. Animals were not eating men. Everybody was a vegetarian. Okay, nobody was sick. Nobody had disease. Nobody had leprosy. Nobody was dying. Nobody was aging. Everybody was frolicking. It was like that, you know, unicorn song by the, by the Irish Rovers, man. Everybody was dancing around happy and just getting after it. That's what God planned. He planned for the world to be fruitful, to be filled with his creation, not filled with death, not filled with slaughter, not filled with animals eating each other to stay alive. I watched the History Channel with my daughter, and they were showing how uh, the food chain works and, and the uh, plains of the Serengeti in Africa, and how these little animals over here are really, really fast, but these bigger animals over here are much faster. And it showed uh, this lion catching up to this roebuck, and it just tagged up on it. And the cameras are rolling, and they're watching the lion shred this poor animal. And the guy says, and here we see, here we see the beauty of nature. The cycle of life, one thing leading to the existence of another thing. And they talked about how the lowly dung beetle has its purpose in, in, the, in the beautiful clockwork symmetry of nature. And I'm like, 
Are you out of your head? I mean, why would you try and sell death, slaughter, murder as a good thing? Why would you want to sell that to kids? I didn't understand it. Second thing, I want you to look at this. Even the eating of animals is a result of sin. We chose this lifestyle and are paying the price for our choices. This is where you teachers get the perfect opportunity to say to your kids, okay, now that we understand that God's perfect plan was no death, no war, no disease, no designer clothes, no bankruptcy, okay, no fraud, none of that stuff was God's plan. Even the little bunnies could lay down next to the tigers and the jaguars and they could all hang out and you know play cards. That was God's plan. We weren't supposed to be eating animals. Because all the people from PETA, they keep jumping on the church. I don't know why they keep jumping on us. I think it's because we have church barbecues, you know. They think we're evil or something. But we chose to bring sin and death and corruption into the world. That's what it says. Um, over in Romans 5.12. And that's what you need to be sharing with your students when they bring up this question. Finally, this one. Death and suffering will continue until the return of Christ. Here's the thing that you've seen a lot on the, uh, on the um, History Channel and other types of channels. They're talking about the world consciousness movement. How we're moving to a higher plane. We're becoming uh, vegetarians, we're becoming vegans, we're living in harmony with Mother Nature, we're all part of Spaceship Earth, and we're trolley dying on down the road to this uh, beautiful utopian place where there's no more sin and death, and they're talking about all these uh, vaccines and medicines that will uh, um, make all the diseases of the 20th and 21st century uh, uh, you know, extinct. And they're telling everybody, if we can just come together as people, members of a global community, then we will eliminate war, eliminate poverty, eliminate disease in our lifetime. And I keep thinking to myself, has nobody read the book of Revelation? Because it ain't going to happen. We have to tell our kids, until Jesus sets foot on this earth, after the seven years of the tribulation, until he sets down, on that throne to begin that millennial reign. Everything is going to keep going just the way it is. Death, war, disease, famine. It's going to continue. Why? Because we chose it. We brought this on ourselves. God didn't do it. Now, of course, one person this week raised the question. Didn't God know it was going to happen? Of course, he ain't stupid. Why didn't God just stop it? The only way to stop it was to never create it. You know, and, and the kids are going to ask you, why didn't God just, just stop Adam and Eve from doing that? Why didn't he stop Cain from killing Abel? Because once we took that step away from our Father, He allows us to make those choices even if we're destroyed by them. And His, his answer was simple, to send Jesus Christ to provide salvation. Always, always bring those kids back to salvation. Away from the death, away from the millions of years, away from the fossils. Bring them back to the answer to that second question. Can't God do something about it? He already did in Jesus Christ. 
I, I encourage you guys to, to have these scriptures ready. And when your kids ask, answer them. In fact, if you're a teacher in here and, and, and you get with the kids this week and say, kids, can I ask you a question? Have you ever wondered why there's suffering and death in the world? And they'll go, yeah, I've always wondered that. Well, do you think God meant for there to be suffering and death? Walk it through Genesis. Then, well, what do you think God's going to do about it? Well, he already did in Jesus Christ. You could probably take the kids through this in 15 minutes. Now, it took a little longer. I took almost 30 to kind of lay it out. But I want you guys to take this and use it. Have it ready. You know, go to work with it. There's people at your work that think there can't be a God because of the way the world is. My own brother, the one that served in Vietnam, he came back from Vietnam convinced that there could not be a God the way he was taught there was a God because of everything he saw in Vietnam. He is firmly convinced now with his wife being sick and, and all of the things going on in their family, he's firmly convinced that he's been lied to, that there is no God the way he was taught God. But here's the problem. When I grew up, when you grew up, what'd they tell us? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yeah, the people are hungry out there, but it's okay, God loves them. But you know, there's war going on in the world, teacher. Yeah, but you know, that, that hurts God's heart, but, but God can't really do anything about that. See, we say things like that because we don't want to get in to the ugliness, the truth. And when we say that, those kids hear us, they turn off their brains. When I spoke to the kids on Sunday, I made them all stand up. I said, okay, you, 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 you front row, you, you're mentally, you're already out of here. You don't believe in the Bible, you don't believe in God, sit down. You're all, you're all fried. Then I said, okay, this whole, this whole section, you sit down. Because by seventh grade, you guys already doubt the Bible. That left this whole side over here. They were getting really cocky. I said, okay, now don't forget, that last statistic said that after high school, 45%, 43% of kids leave church and never come back. I said, okay, first three rows, you made it. The rest of you guys, sit down. I said, that's who's left after college from everybody in this room. Their jaws dropped open because they heard the numbers, but they never saw what it means. They were looking, and they were not the ones here. They were not in these three rows. These three rows are the ones that may last into adult ministry. But the rest of them, gone. And according to the study, they never come back. From this day on, we're going to keep looking at these questions. These are real questions from real kids. I want to answer them from the Bible, and I want you to take those answers and give it to your kids, to your grandkids, to your classes. If you're an adult teacher, I want you to ask your adults how they feel about this question. To ask your cell groups. Tell me, church, or tell me cell group, why is there so much suffering and death? Can God really be a good God if he lets all this go on? You'd be surprised who has that question. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time and thank you for your word. Father, your word says that this earth was made perfect. We were made to be in your likeness. We were made to be a reflection of your glory, a reflection of your holiness. We were meant to live and love each other, Father God. You meant us to be together in harmony. Lord, you never meant for us to even hunt the animals that are around us. You never meant for us to kill for food. But Lord, how far we have fallen because we chose to disobey you. Lord, on the sixth day, you looked out and you said it was good.
But God, you know, today it stinks because we are so far from you. God, pour out your blessing on us tonight. Lord, I praise you. I praise you that even though Adam ate from that tree and began the process of death, Lord, even though death entered the human race through that one man's mistake, even though that started the process of death and, and mutilation and sickness, even though our world groans, Father, in anticipation, Lord, we know that whosoever believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And Father God, wherever we are today, whatever hurting, whatever pain we're in, Lord God, remind us that you have already done what is necessary to deal with a world full of suffering and hurting and death. Father, you gave us your son. You sacrificed him on that cross. You let him bleed for sinful, hate-filled people that we might live and survive in a world of suffering and death. Lord, take us from here today. Fill us with boldness. Fill us with courage. Let us go forth, Lord, with the answers from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. See you later. Thank you for joining us today in the archives. I am your host, Richard Stidham. Remember that we are a listener-supported ministry here, and if you would like to contribute in any way to keeping this message on the air, you can send any gifts to Richard Stidham, 1321 Baytown, Texas, 77521. That's P.O. Box, 1321 Baytown, Texas, 77521. God bless and we'll see you again in the archives.